This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you. Visit it and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey. How's everybody doing today? My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to have you. We're right in the middle of our Christmas season that we called Christmas. <coughs> Christmas, the word mas meaning more. Really asking the question this year, God, as I approach Christmas, what kind of more do you want me to get? Last week we looked at just the idea of more. And really that the truth is that whatever we do in life, whether we go to Walmart or whether we go to a concert, we're going to get more. It might be more frustration, right? It might be more presents. It might be more groceries. It might be more entertainment and fun. But we're going to get more. And here's the problem is that most, most of us do not walk into an experience saying, God, what do you want me to get more of? We walk into it going, I'm just going to get what everyone else gets more of. We looked at Mary, a teenage girl who was pregnant with the Son of God, but was engaged to be married. In a moment, in a time when her pregnancy would have brought about fear and shame, Mary found something different to find more of. Because she was in the will of God, because she found God to have been a part of what was happening to her, Mary, instead of finding fear or shame or anxiety or worry, Mary found joy. She got more joy through what was happening. So today, we're going to continue on. And as we get ready to start, I want to remind you of something. This is the first thing in your notes today, that if there's one thing Christmas elevates, it's our relationships. It's our relationships. The, during this Christmas season, right, we're all going to make time for the people that we love. You may not go visit your grandma but twice a year, but at Christmas, you're going to go visit your grandma, right? Those aunts, uncles, the crazy people in your family that you try to avoid most of the year, you're still going to make time to go see them at Christmas, right? Because we know that the people that we love and we care about, the relationships that we have, somehow the Christmas season elevates relationships. It's awesome that <coughs> for many of us, <coughs> when it comes to our families, this is the one season of the year that we know, like, I really need to pause and my family needs to be important during this season. But because this is a season of relationships, Christmas also does something as well. That's the second thing. Christmas will also accentuate our loneliness. I was watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special last night with my, my kids and I mean, y'all know Charlie Brown, right? He's the happiest guy in the world, right? Y'all remember, right? And so Charlie Brown goes at the very opening of the story, goes to check the mailbox to see if he's got any Christmas cards, and he says this. He goes, I know everybody hates me. Why do I need a holiday to remind me of it? Right? See, at, at Christmas, if we're lonely, 
it accentuates that loneliness. This is why for those of you that know someone this Christmas, especially some of our older parents and, and the older generation, you know someone that's lost someone and the, the, maybe a spouse and the kids are already out of the house. It's going to be a tough Christmas for them. Not just because of the loss, but because of loneliness. You see, I think loneliness is a major issue. It's a major issue. And it's not just an issue that affects those who have lost people. It's a pervasive issue that exists in our culture. Think about this with me. You rewind time and go about 100 years ago, you only had two ways to get in touch with somebody. You could write them a letter or go over their house. Right? Maybe 50, 60 years ago, you might have gotten to, to get them on the phone maybe if the party line had, had a break in it, right? Some of y'all remember party lines, right? But today, you can Facebook message me. You can send me a direct message on Twitter. You can send me a picture message on Snapchat or Instagram. You can email me. You can text message me. You can get me on my Google Voice number. You can call me on my cell phone. You can call me at my office. You can come visit me at home. And in all those ways that we have to connect with someone, loneliness is becoming an epidemic in our culture. This is a staggering statistic. The statistics that are beginning to emerge over the last few years of how loneliness is impacting us. Look at this. This is a Duke University study in 2014. One in four people of over 1,500 surveyed in face-to-face interviewed identified with this statement, I have nobody to share my troubles or triumphs with. The really difficult moments and the really great moments, I don't have anybody in my life to share those moments with. I don't have someone to call. I don't have someone to celebrate with. I don't have someone to cry. The Bible says in Romans that we should weep with those who weep. We should mourn with those who mourn. We should celebrate with those who celebrate. We, these persons say, I don't have that. I don't have that kind of friend. And, you know, I think that when we think about loneliness, we think about it socially. Oh, well, you know, they're, they're alone, and that's sad. You know, it's sad. But... This year, a, a lot of research, especially in the, the latter part of this year, is starting to emerge that shows that loneliness is not just a social issue. It's a health issue. It's a health issue. A, a, lot, of, a lot of scientific work is doing, being done behind the scenes on this. And as a matter of fact, one of the researchers I was reading this week said, she said, in, in all of my work, this is what I would tell you, that loneliness is one of the next great American epidemics. It is on par with obesity and diabetes. Because here's some of the research. I just want you to see this from perspectives on psychology earlier this year. Social, is- social isolation, the feeling of living alone, is devastating to a person's health, respectively increasing the mortality risk by over 30%. Have you ever known an older family, an older couple that had lived together for 50 years? God chooses to bring one of them home. And, well, it's not within months that the other one passes away. You see, I think we were meant to live in community. God himself presents us to himself 
right? To, he talks about himself to us in, in a way that talks about God who has eternally existed in three persons, this little internal community that has existed for eternity. Jesus called friends to follow him. We are, we're meant to live in relationships, and so when we live in isolation, it is damaging to our souls. And I don't think that there's perhaps any worse case of loneliness than the crazy cat lady. Do any of y'all know a crazy cat lady? If you're in here, it's not a good time to raise your hand. Just want you to, if that's you. This is what crazy cat lady looks like right here. Y'all ever been to that house right there? That's a fun house to visit. That's all I have to say. Especially if you like cats or you're a little kid. This is a crazy cat lady. Here, look, look, this is what crazy cat lady's relationship status on Facebook looks like. Single, in a relationship, they, no, ma- not married, already ordered 37 cats right there. All right. Here's the anatomy of what a crazy cat lady looks like. I love this graphic. This is so funny. You know, uh, uh, but, but they're my babies. What smell? <laughs> I love that. This is the only cat furniture is the only <laughs> furniture in the whole house. And in the bottom right, yeah, I don't know if you can see it, it says, note, lack of ring. See, crazy cat ladies think differently. They think differently. They, 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 they process the world and their, their cats different than, than we might. Look at some of this. This is crazy cat ladies thought. I feel guilty about giving one cat more attention than the others. <laughs> if you've ever thought that, you might be a crazy cat lady. Um, <coughs> sees cat at party. Finally, someone I can talk to. If that's you, you might be crazy cat lady. Next one. Look at this. My boyfriend has big green eyes, long hair, and the cutest tail and purr. <laughs> if that's you, you might be a crazy cat lady. I, a few years ago, I was, you know, filling some time by watching funny videos on YouTube, and I ran across an eHarmony video. I don't know if you've seen this before. I, let me just say this. I'm glad that a, as an adult at this stage of my life, I don't have to worry about dating and online dating and all the things that are out there that everyone everyone does. You know, I, I, that that's just one of those things that's, that's quite intimidating because I don't know that I would ever look too cool online. Um, but this is an eHarmony video from, from a crazy cat lady. And I just want you to see how, how bad this can get. L- let's watch this video. Hello, my name is Debbie. Um, this is my first attempt um, at a eHarmony video. Um, this is my first time at online dating, so I'm nervous, but I'm excited at the same time. Um, so I'm just gonna start talking about what I like and hope I get some replies. Um, so I am a recent, um, MBA grad from Villanova. Um, I love cats. Um, I just, sorry, I'm getting emotional. I love cats. Um, I love every kind of cat. Sorry, I just, I really love cats. And I just want to hug all of them, but I can't, because that's crazy. I can't hug every cat. (laughs) But I just want to, I want to. I want to, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, I get, anytime I hear cat, I just, 
I love cats. Um, ooh, I promised myself I wouldn't cry. Um, so anyway, I am a cat lover, um, and I love to run. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about cats again. <laughs> I just, I think about how many don't have a home and how I should have them and how cute they are and their ears and the whiskers and the nose. I just love them and I want them and I want them in a basket and I want little bow ties. <laughs> I want them to be on a rainbow and just in my bed and I just want a house full of them and I just want to still roll around. I can't. I just, I can't. <laughs> I don't know if you if you're watching that video, I don't know that I, I feel sorry for the dude that said yes to that. Right. So what I want to do today is I want to introduce you to the crazy cat ladies of the Christmas story. Just to set up kind of where we are in the story. Mary, Mary is in this predicament, teenage pregnancy, and worried about the guy that she's betrothed to. His name is Joseph. And God takes care of that for her by visiting Joseph supernaturally, convincing him to marry uh, Mary. So they leave Nazareth because there's a census going on and head towards the city of David called Bethlehem, which is his hometown, because you had to return to your hometown for the census to be taken. And that's where we pick up with the birth of Jesus. And I want you to see how God orchestrates the birth of Jesus. Luke 2, verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. There were shepherds living out in the fields. Oftentimes we read over that story and that portion of the Christmas narrative and we, we think, well, they're, they're shepherds. They're awesome, right? I have little figurines of them at home in my nativity scene. They've got to be really important, but I want you to understand today that that's not exactly who shepherds were. I think it's important to kind of uh, process the kind of life that a shepherd would have lived. The first thing that I want you to see is they lived outside the city. They didn't live inside the city or inside the town. They lived outside of the town taking care of sheep. A rancher who owned all the sheep had hired the shepherds to take care of the sheep. This meant that in those days where relationships were fueled, uh, economy, economic re kind of interactions were fueled inside the city, the shepherds lived outside of that. They were isolated. They were alone. But not just that. I want you to know, how many of y'all have ever seen Dirty Jobs? You ever seen that show? You know if the, sh if, if the job title that you're applying for was on Dirty Jobs, you want to and kind of withdraw your submission, right? You don't want that job because those jobs are crazy. And shepherding was a dirty job. It was messy. It was taking care of, of sheep, which are notoriously stupid, which is kind of funny because the Bible calls us sheep and Jesus the great shepherd. 
It was a messy, messy job. And they were agriculture workers. Now, I, I got to see this this past uh, month when I flew out to Montana. You know, Montana's still kind of out west. And uh, around here, uh, a large tract of land for us is m- maybe 1,000 acres, maybe 500 acres. But out there, there are ranchers that own tens of thousands of acres with thousands of head of cattle on those. And they hire cowboys. Well, we got to go out and work with a cowboy to shoot some of their uh, kind of ver- varmints that were running around in their property. It was a lot of fun. They call them prairie dogs. They look like big squirrels, right? And we got to shoot them with AK-47s. Um, so <laughs> they explode when you hit them. It's really neat. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but these guys live, I mean, miles and miles and miles away from, from any sort of interaction. In small homes all by themselves, right? I used to love me some Willie Nelson. Anybody love Willie Nelson? My heroes have always been cowboys, right? Not anymore, right? I don't want to be a cowboy. I don't want to live like that. I mean, these guys are well out of cell coverage, well out of any sort of interaction with the world. That's exactly where the shepherds were. They're not the cultural elite of their day. They were not people that were power brokers. As a matter of fact, this was kind of a dead-end job. The last thing I want you to know about them is that they were alone. They were alone. By job, by position, they were alone in the world. And so I want you to watch as the story of God begins to unfold in Luke 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. Think about this with me. That out of all the people that the angels and the news of the birth of Christ could have been spread to. Who did it come to? It came to a lowly group of shepherds on the outskirts of town. And you know how they reacted? They reacted the same way you would if you walked out tomorrow morning. There were a group of angels sitting outside singing to you, right? They were afraid. I mean, I I might have to go back inside, (laughs) right? They were, they were afraid. But here's the question that I'd ask for you. How is that fear going to work in their lives? Is it going to hold them back from what God wants for them? Let's read on. Luke 2, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. See, in that moment, God sends angels to announce the birth of his son. It's almost as if the joy of heaven could not be contained anymore. And the discrepancy between that realm and our realm is crossed for just a moment as we see heaven celebrate the birth of Jesus. And it happens in front of a group of lowly shepherds 
who are invited by God into his story. A group of isolated, downcast, set-aside men. God says, I just brought the Messiah into this whole story, and, and the first thing I want is to ask you to come be a part of this. And you know what they did? Even though they were afraid, the Bible says they hurried. They hurried off. I want to remind you of something I've said before, that the distance between God's command and our obedience is a good test of how close we are to God. When God says go, and when we actually go, how far apart are those? Because I want you to understand this. Delayed obedience is simply disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When you know God's asked you to do something and you keep saying, God, I'm waiting until, I'm waiting until, I'm waiting until, that's disobedience. See, the shepherds were invited into God's story and they hurried off. Let's see how this ends. In Luke 2, 17, when they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So think about this with me, that the Lord of all creation could have appeared to anyone, to the kings, to the nobles, to the merchants, to the prophets, to the priests. But no, he came to the shepherds. And the shepherds find their way to Jesus. They see and witness the majesty of the king of the world being born. And they leave and they can't hold the news to themselves. They begin to share it. And what does the Bible say? That all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds told them. These lowly, set-aside individuals all of a sudden become the bearers of the greatest news in human history. And I want you to see this as we take a few moments. There is within that the identity of the first thing that I want you to see this Christmas that God wants you to have more of. But before we talk about that, I want to think about what we often think about when it comes to Christmas. It's the first thing in your notes. Most of us live like Christmas is all about more presents. Now, I know, I know y'all are going to say, that's not me. Christmas is all about my family. I love my family. love spending time with my family. Get to go see my grandparents. All right? I love my kids. Get to do that. It's not about the presents. It's about quality time, right? And some of y'all will even take it a step further. No, it's about Jesus. I love me some Jesus, Jesus all day. I'm team Jesus. I am. I got my K-Love pouring out. The Christmas music, I just feel it right now, right? Y'all go there. But if I asked you right now, and some of y'all have been asked this question already today, if I went up to you and I said, how's Christmas coming? You know what you're going to say? Well, we got about half our presents, boss. We still got to do some work this week. Some of y'all would be so bold as to say, we got all our presents already. How's Christmas? Oh, we got them all. Right? Then there's some of you. How's Christmas going? Well, I ain't got nothing yet. I ain't got nothing. I don't know what we're going to do. We're two weeks out. 
Who doesn't have any presents yet? All right? Think about it. Isn't that how you answer that question? And you know what happens after Christmas? When you get back in the routine, you go back to work, and your coworkers come up and say, how was Christmas? You know how we answer that? Oh, you know what? Got the kids a swing set this year. It was awesome, man. It took me all night to put that thing together. I don't know why we bought it. It was in a box, right? I'm 3 a.m. I'm hanging from there trying to hang that thing. I don't even know how I got it all together, but I did. And on Christmas morning, man, they were excited. They played with it all day. Every day since then, they've been on that swing. Can't even get them off to have dinner. I know that we don't say Christmas is all about the presents. But God knows we live like it. The average family this year is going to spend almost $900 on Christmas presents. The average American family this year, based on some research, is going to spend about $882 on Christmas presents. Based on the average household income of $50,500, that represents about three weeks' work. Three weeks of you going to work every single day, every single day, every single day, every single day to eventually come home and buy that three or $400 toy for your child that they're going to break in three weeks. You see, we know Christmas isn't all about the presents, but we live like it. And I want you to understand that whenever there's a discrepancy between the way that we know we should live and the way that we're actually living, there is a problem. And the solution to that is actually found in this story. Number two, God wants to give us more of his presence this Christmas. God wants to give us more of his presence this Christmas. The intertestinal period lies right before the birth of Jesus. This is a period of time where there was no new word from God. I mean, it's remarkable that God had been active and and new word had been coming from him through prophets, through writers, through all the way for centuries. And then for 400 years, God was silent. And God did not break that silence through shouting from the heavens. He didn't break the silence by raising up a prophet. He broke the silence by the presence of his son. And I want you to understand something. God's presence is the greatest gift we'll ever get. As a matter of fact, the third thing in your notes, this is a a caution for you that are parents. Don't This Christmas, don't sacrifice presents for presents. As a parent, I want you to know something. The greatest thing that you can give your children this time with you is your attention, your affection, being there with them, being focused on them, giving them your undivided heart right there, fully present to be with them. That will make the greatest difference in their lives. I can't remember very many Christmases as a child. And I know that every year my mom and my dad sacrificed dearly and put a lot of thought and time into making sure I had great gifts. 
but I can remember the times they sacrificed to be with me. Don't sacrifice your presence for presence. Because God did not do that with us. God gave us the presence of His Son. And He sent that presence initially to the loneliest group of people in their community. To a group of shepherds that were on the outskirts of the town. In Isaiah 7, the prophet Isaiah, speaking of the coming Messiah, would talk about who God was going to be when he came to earth. And he said that you will call him Emmanuel. And then he explained what that meant. Emmanuel. God with us. See, the greatest gift that we'll get this Christmas is that God has chosen to be with us. His presence wants to be a part of our daily lives. See, God doesn't want you just to come to church so you can feel like you are around Him. God wants you to live in His presence. And some of you are facing some of the most significant struggles you've ever had in your life. There are people in this room right now battling cancer, fighting for family members. There are people of you that are going through just traumatic, difficult situations in your job. And I want you to know that at this Christmas, one of the greatest realities that God elevates for us to see is that He is with us. If you're sick today, I want you to know that God is with you. That He has promised to be your healer. And that healing may one day look like ultimately you being healed eternally so that you can live with Him. But God has promised to be your healer. If you are weak today, God with you has promised to be your strength. If you are discouraged today, if you are discouraged, God with you has promised to be your hope and encouragement. Whatever it is you're facing today, the answer is not found in more of what the world would tell you. The answer is found in more of God's presence. And God has made it available to you through His Son, Jesus. Maybe today you're like that shepherd. Having spent days by yourself on the edge of the city. Taking care of something that was not yours and perhaps you didn't even enjoy it. Perhaps you're like a shepherd and you're living in a world of loneliness right now. Maybe this Christmas you can see that God has invited you into His story and He wants to be your greatest friend and ally. He wants to be the God with you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being the God that is with us, the God that is present. And God, we lean into that today. Many of us today have desperate needs for you. 
God, the stuff that we're facing is catastrophic and difficult. And we know that we can't make it through without you. And so, God, we just look to you. We ask you to come and to rescue us. God, we want to live a life that, that is saturated with your presence. That, that we cannot escape your presence. That we can live just like the psalmist who said, I cannot outrun you, God. No matter how far I run, either direction, your presence is there. God, we want to live with the reality that you are life and hope and joy. And if your presence is there, we can embrace that. We can have it. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you a question today. Have you been trying to run from the presence of God? Have you been trying to run from the will of God? Because this Christmas, I want you to be reminded that God ran to you. That as far as you've ever tried to run from Him, He's chased you. He's pursued you. And right now in this room, His presence is here waiting for you to make that one decision that could change everything to look into the heart of God and say, God, I'm tired of running. I want to live in your presence. If that's you, and you're that person, you're tired of running, you want to live in his presence, raise your hand right now. Nobody's looking around. Every head bowed. Raise your hand if that's you. Awesome. Who else? There we go. I'm tired of running. If that's you, raise your hand. So God, today we just thank you that for those of us in the room that are tired of running from you, you have received us with open arms like the prodigal father. God, even though we have squandered a portion of our lives, God, you receive us back as sons and daughters. And today, God, we look into your heart and we ask you, come and make something beautiful out of the mess we've made. Because the only way that happens by living in your presence. God, we love you. Thank you for that gift this Christmas. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.